You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to this week's Tuesday Night Bible Study. We're grateful that you're able to be with us tonight, those of you joining us via the podcast or whether you're accessing this via video, and to those who are joining us live and in person tonight via Zoom, we're grateful to have you guys with us as well. Last week, we started our study of the book of First John, so we're in our second week of looking at the book of First John, and we'll be looking at this for a group of weeks here, plenty of weeks actually, many weeks. Uh, But tonight, as we look at 1 John, we're going to be focusing on verses 5 through 10, and we're going to be talking about walking in the light, what it looks like to walk in the light. And it's certainly a helpful and very practical concept for us to be wrestling with as believers in Jesus Christ, because that's something that the Lord admonishes us to do. We're called to walk in the light, and so that's exactly what we want to do. We want to be men and women who walk in the light. So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Now, if you weren't with us last week when we got our study underway, I gave some background information that I want to start off tonight by recapping, just in case you're not already familiar with some of the background of the book of 1 John. So the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John. This is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And uh, he wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you've already had the time to read through the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you realize that those those sections are shorter, uh, the book of 1st John being much longer than 2nd John and 3rd John. 2nd John and 3rd John are very short books, very short letters. But we're in the book of 1st John this evening. And, and again, this was written by the Apostle John, and it was written somewhere around the year 90. And he wrote this letter from the city of Ephesus, where he was serving in a pastoral capacity. And at the time he was writing this here, he was older. He was an older man. And uh, and this was also before he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And you may or may not know this already, but when he was on the island of Patmos, that's where he wrote the book of Revelation, where the Lord revealed that content to him, and he wrote those things down. And, and it's certainly interesting when you think about the fact that I, I imagine that John was a, a bit concerned and discouraged when he was exiled to the island of Patmos, but you could see how the Lord would use those moments where the apostles were forced to pause from their normal responsibilities, and he would use those moments to influence them to take time to write. We see that even with the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. Some of his letters were written from prison as uh, he was prevented from traveling around. He, He would write these things down while he was in prison. Well, here you have you have John exiled to Patmos, and he wrote down the book of Revelation, but the book of First John was written just before that happened, not too long before that took place. And when you look through this letter, uh, you can see that John was trying to accomplish a variety of things. He tried to accomplish multiple things with this letter, and that includes trying to help bolster the faith of the believers. So those that were professing faith in Jesus Christ, you have John attempting to encourage them, But he's also trying to correct false teaching that was being spread. And we're going to see an example of that this evening as we look at uh, the portion of Scripture that we're looking at tonight. 
where it appears that John was trying to correct some false teaching that was being spread during that era. Now, in the midst of the things that that this book speaks about, um, we're going to be talking. We're going to we're going to be focusing on one primary area tonight. But throughout the course of this letter, you can see John stressing concepts like having fellowship with God. We'll see that in tonight's scripture. Uh, the need for believers to confess our sin. We'll see that in tonight's scripture as well. He also talks throughout the book of, about loving God, about loving one another, about knowing God in a personal way, and about acknowledging Christ's divinity. So these are some of the many subjects that John brings up in this book, and it's certainly a helpful book for us as we grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in tonight's passage, so again, tonight we're in 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 5, and we'll be studying down to verse 10. But in tonight's passage, the Apostle John is going to demonstrate the importance of walking in the light. And he's going to demonstrate for us what it looks like to walk in the light. And this is certainly something that is important. If we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we are invited to walk in the light. It's, in fact, the Lord's expectation of us that we would walk in the light. And we'll see John stressing what that means and showing us what that looks like. So as we prepare our hearts to look at this portion of Scripture tonight, I just want to start off with a couple questions just to get your mind thinking here, not even something I'm, I'm expecting anyone to answer out loud, but I just want us to be thinking these things in our minds and our hearts right now. Are you walking in the light? So whether you're live on the call tonight, I want you to be thinking about that. If you're accessing this through the, the podcast after it's recorded, I just want you to be asking yourself, are you walking in the light? Or is there still a part of your life that you're trying to hold back from God? Because that's something that we wrestle with from time to time. And sometimes we try and hold things back from God. It doesn't work, but we try to do that from time to time. So just think about that, even as we prepare to look at this portion of Scripture together. Now, let's jump into the text right now. And in verses 5 and 6 of 1 John chapter 1, we're going to see, for starters, that the Scripture tells us that God is light and there is no darkness in him. Now, what's meant by that? Well, let me read the scripture to us. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 say this. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then in verse 6, John says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it's a very powerful group of statements here that our, our study tonight begins with, because here you have the Apostle John, who was known for being a very loving person. But here he's, he's showing that love by being very direct in what he's teaching. And obviously the Holy Spirit is carrying John along. He's, he's helping him as he's writing these things down. But here you have John expressing the fact that what he's proclaiming here in this letter is the message that he has heard from Jesus Christ himself. This is the message that he's heard from the Lord and that he's proclaiming. And this is something for us that I think is particularly useful. I know that as somebody that has the opportunity to preach and teach, one of the things that the Lord has invited 
uh, us as believers to do is to be under the hearing of the proclamation of his word. And so I prepare sermons and I preach sermons and I do the different things that we do online. And that's all wonderful and good. And and that's something that Christian leaders have done throughout the generations. And here you have John saying, this is the message we've heard, and this is what we're proclaiming to you. So we're taking what we've heard and we're proclaiming it. And the truth is, this is something that that all of us as believers, whether we're in some form of leadership or some form of vocational ministry, or we aren't, this is something that we should still value. Because the Lord wants the message of his gospel to be known, and the means that he has ordained for his word to spread is through your lips and through my lips. Scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing. People need to hear the gospel. People need to hear the truth of the scriptures. And this is something that you could see that the Apostle John was certainly prioritizing. He's saying, all right, this is a message we've heard, and we've heard it from the Lord, and we're now proclaiming it to you. We're not just keeping it to ourselves. We're making it known to you. We want to make sure that you hear what we heard. So he, he's, he's referencing the fact that he had the opportunity to hear this information firsthand, and he's saying, all right, now I'm passing it on to you, basically setting an example of how this information should be spread, believer to believer, person to person, sharing it, proclaiming it. And he's saying a very specific thing here. He's saying, all right, here's the message. This is what we're proclaiming. And he says, here, here it is. He says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So think about that statement for just a second, the fact that God is light. What do you suppose John is getting at when he says that God is light? It's kind of interesting when you think about it, because, you know, when I, when I walk around my house, I try to be pretty frugal. And uh, if someone's not in a room, I expect the lights to be turned off. But there's a danger particularly during this time of year where it gets dark early. If I'm walking around my house and, and I've got all the lights off, the odds are I very well may trip on something or crash into something. In fact, we had one of our neighbors come over at one point, and uh, she said, here's something I've noticed about your house, that you guys are very diligent about turning off lights when they're not being used. And I thought that was funny because she also said, and that means that your house always seems dark, except for the very spot that you're in. And uh, that was comical to me because I didn't even realize that we were that militant about it. But when you're, when you're walking around in darkness, negative things can happen. We aren't designed to walk around in darkness. Typically, if I'm walking around in darkness, I have a hand out in front of me because it's almost like cat whiskers where you put your hands out in front of you because you want to be able to tell if something's right in front of your face or if something's nearby, you want to at least feel it before you bump into it or, or trip over it. And here we're told that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So when, when John's describing God as being light here, he's talking about this idea that, that the Lord is perfect. He's talking about the fact here that the Lord is pure, that the Lord is good, that the Lord is sinless, that there's no wickedness in him or anything of that nature. And he, and he stresses that by saying, in him there is no darkness at all. So there's, no, there's, nothing, um, there's nothing sinister. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing wicked. There's nothing duplicitous. He's light. He's pure. He's holy. 
Uh, he there's there's nothing about him that would produce any sense of shame. And so he's saying God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. And then he then he makes this statement. And I believe he's doing this in part to encourage us as believers, but also to challenge those who were proclaiming to be believers during that era, but their lifestyles were telling a different story. So he says it this way when you look at verse 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I have good friends, and I'm sure those on the call here live and those of you accessing the the recorded podcast could probably look over the course of your life and point out some people, some family members that you've been close to, some friends that you've been close to. And when you think about the idea of having fellowship with people, I wonder what comes to mind. Typically, I think about good conversation, honesty, transparency, time spent together, uh, delighting in each other's presence. And here John talks about this idea of fellowship, and fellowship is something that we as believers reference frequently in the context of the local church. You know, we always talk about uh, seasons of fellowship or times that we could have fellowship together. Sometimes that's also code for a meal, you know, if if you're in certain churches and they say, hey, we're going to have a time of fellowship after the worship service. That means we're going to be eating something usually. But fellowship involves camaraderie and friendship and closeness and transparency and communication and time spent together. And here he's saying, if we say we have fellowship, if we say we have a deep, abiding, trusting, personal relationship with God, if we're saying that about ourselves, while at the same time we're still walking in darkness, he's saying, effectively, we're kidding ourselves. And and maybe what we're doing is is actually lying and and not practicing the truth at all. Because he's saying, if, if you have genuine fellowship with the Lord, if you have genuine fellowship with your Creator, if you have genuine fellowship with God, you're going to walk with God. You're going to walk closely with God. You're not going to walk in darkness. And he's saying, you can't tell, you can't say, you can't proclaim that you have close fellowship with God and then walk in darkness as the perpetual theme of your life You can't do both at the same time. He's saying, if you're doing that, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. And I think he's doing that. I think John is saying this to challenge us as believers to take a close examination of our lives. But I think he's also trying to point out certain things about some of the false believers or false teachers that existed during the era of the early church. He's basically saying, you can tell what somebody believes by the life that they lead. So I can proclaim to you that I love Jesus Christ, but if I go about my life in such a way that there's really nothing about my life that reflects his heart, if I'm living my life like I'm running from him instead of walking with him, you could rest assured that I would be lying, right? I would be lying if I said I had fellowship with Jesus, but then I choose not to walk with him. That doesn't make sense. But if I truly have fellowship with the Lord, then I'll walk with him. I'm going to want to walk in the light. I'm not going to want to walk in darkness. I'm not going to want to uh, return to the darkness that the Lord has already freed me from. And so John is encouraging us to be people who walk in fellowship with the Lord so that we're not lying to to others and we're not lying to ourselves, that we're not going about life failing to practice the truth. 
God is light. There is no darkness in him. And if we follow Jesus Christ, if, we're, if, we, if we have a relationship with the Lord, we're also going to walk in the light. We're not going to walk in darkness. And when we jump into verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1, John gives us evidence of the result of walking in the light. So what is the result of walking in the light? What does it look like? What does it mean? Well, he says, but if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's two things that John lists there. So what is the result of walking in the light? Well, you know, just look at what he says. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So if we're walking as Jesus walked, we lived as Jesus lived. If we we go about our life in such a way that we reflect the heart of Christ, he says there's a couple things that will be benefits that come from that or things that are correlated to that. He's saying, first of all, we have fellowship with one another. Now, that's kind of an interesting spot to start because you would expect him to maybe start more so with our relationship with God in the immediate aftermath of making that statement. But he's saying, first of all, we have fellowship with one another. So if you're walking in the light and I'm walking in the light, well, we're walking in the same direction and we're walking with the same Lord. And that ultimately unites us to one another. We have fellowship with one another. If we have fellowship with the Lord, we will have fellowship with one another. And that was something that the Apostle John wanted to see in the local church. He wanted the church to experience strong fellowship. There are certainly times where that that can get strained. I know that throughout the course of my life, there have been different people, even professing believers who at time who at times have made that difficult for me personally to feel like I was in fellowship with them. And I'm certain that there are people that could point to seasons of my life where they would say, yeah, and John, you made it difficult for us to have fellowship with you at certain times. But if, and, and really what happens when you look back at those seasons, it, it's usually because one or both of us is not choosing in that moment to walk in the light. But if I'm walking as Jesus walked, and if you're walking as Jesus walked, and we're walking just in this close relationship, this close uh, intimacy, this close trust with Jesus Christ, if we're both doing that, not only are we going to have fellowship with God, but we're also going to have fellowship with one another. I'd be curious when we take uh, questions and have discussion in a few minutes, if maybe some of us on the call here have ever had an experience where you meet somebody for the first time and you know nothing about them other than maybe their name, or maybe you don't even know their name, but have you ever met somebody for the very first time, and in that moment, you can just tell that you're speaking to someone who shares your faith? I've had that happen to me more times than I can count. And why is that? How can you tell? Why is it that sometimes that just becomes very apparent to you? Well, I think it's because you're already in fellowship with one another and and you're just realizing it at the same time. I remember this was, I could tell you exactly when this was. This was in the summer of 1998. And the reason I remember the date exactly is because I became a full-time pastor in June of 1998. And I remember about a month or two later, I was invited to a community picnic. And while I was at that community picnic, I was just talking to people and trying to get to meet some people. And this man walked up to me that I had never met before. And his name was Bob. And he walked up to me and he introduced himself and he said, hey, hey, I'm Bob. And I, I said, hi, I'm John. And he said, yeah, I, I had a curious, he said, I just had a question for you. Are you a pastor? <laughs> That's what he said. Are you a pastor? And I said, I am. I, I said, well, how did, how did you know that? And he said, 
he said, I can always pick them out of a crowd. <laughs> I can always pick them out of a crowd. And I thought, well, what do you mean by that? And it turns out Bob was also a pastor. So he wasn't picking on me. He was saying, yeah, I, I, I can just tell when another pastor's around. So I don't know. He had some innate ability to just kind of sniff me out in the crowd there. And I had not told him that that's, that that's um, how I was serving the Lord. But I just thought that was interesting. And Bob and I used to get together after that picnic. We got together the entire time I was serving that church. We would get together sometimes multiple times throughout the course of a month just to meet for for lunch and prayer. And uh, he was just a fantastic guy to to know and to to have the opportunity to interact with. But here you have John saying the the benefit, the first benefit here that he lists of walking in the light as Christ is in the light is we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as as the Lord is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then the second benefit, he says here, is that the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, right? He says, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's, That's the other benefit of walking in fellowship with the Lord. He's just talking about the fact that the the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us of all sin, past, present, and future. And so John is bringing that up here. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's the result of walking in the light. This is the fruit of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Well, John goes on to talk about a few additional things here when we get into verses 8 and 9. But I'll just ask a question here for thought as we prepare to read those verses, are you deceiving yourself? And the reason I ask that is because John brings up a form of self-deception that at times can happen. And, um, And I wonder, are we deceiving ourselves? And he gives us a test here. And this is the test. When you look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have the option to be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord, or we can deceive ourselves. And we certainly don't want to deceive ourselves, but John here shows us how many people throughout the course of human history have deceived themselves. And the way you can deceive yourself And sometimes, by the way, we think of the devil as being the only one who's doing the deceiving, but we could actually deceive ourselves in a very same, like a a very similar mindset that the devil loves to use to try and deceive people. But if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. That's what John's saying. If, If you say you have no sin, if I try to pretend that I have no sin, if you on this call try to pretend like you have no sin, those of you listening to the podcast, if you say you have no sin, all you're doing is deceiving yourself. And by the way, I have met people over the course of my life who live as if they have no sin. And I've even met people who have openly said, I can think of two specific people. No, I can think of three specific people off the top of my head, actually, who uh, uh, two of them are now with the Lord and one is still living, but who, who I have heard teach that they did not have sin. And I remember thinking to myself, they, I wonder if they really believe that. Do they really believe they have no sin? Well, the scripture here says, if you say that, you deceive yourself. And it's it's very similar to the mindset that we could see demonstrated among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law during the course of Christ's earthly ministry. Those were people that were walking around with uh, an air of self-righteousness. 
They didn't feel that they needed the righteousness of Christ. They felt like they were righteous in and of themselves. They didn't feel like they were sinful. They just kind of went about life and and felt like they weren't sinful at all. They just they just thought they were better than everybody. And and here you have John saying, if if you live like that, if that's the thing you're actually preaching to your heart, if you're telling yourself that you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And he says, and the truth is not in us, because that's the opposite of what the gospel preaches. The message of the gospel preaches what? The fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The fact that Jesus came to this earth to rescue us, not because we were already okay, but because we were not okay. And so he came to this earth to rescue us. He came to this earth to save us. He came to this earth to heal us because we were sinners lost in sin. We were doomed. We were condemned. And he took our condemnation upon himself. And in verse 9, John says, the, the alternative to deceiving yourself is to be honest. And honest in a way that at times can be difficult. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'd put this into two different categories or two different seasons of life where it's important for us to confess our sins. I know when I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was a moment of confession of sin where I confess to the Lord, Lord, I recognize now that I am a sinner who needs to be saved. So I confessed that I was a sinner. I admitted it. I agreed with the Lord that I was a sinner who needed salvation. And I asked Jesus to save me. I trusted in him. I sought his cleansing. And the scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's wonderful. And since that day, when I came to know Jesus Christ, I've been walking with him. But I got to tell you, I, I didn't start as a mature Christian on day one. I was very much immature in my faith. And there are still areas of my life that, unfortunately, I look at at times and I think, I, I think I have to do a lot of growing in some of these areas because I know that, that, you know, I need to make a lot of progress in a lot of different areas. And because I'm not perfect, because I don't want to deceive myself and say I have no sin, what do I need to do as the Lord brings those things to my attention over the course of my day-to-day life? If I notice that I've sinned, If I do something that is dishonoring to God, if I say something that's dishonoring to God, I need to confess that. I need to repent of that. And the Scripture tells me that it's safe to do so because, again, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so often people go through their lives carrying a burden that they are not designed to carry, all because they won't confess their sin to the Lord. They would rather kid themselves. They would rather pretend that sin is not an issue that they deal with, and then they just they carry this unnecessary burden, and they don't experience what this scripture is talking about, the joy of resting in the fact that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins, the fact that he desires to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I would encourage us to become somebody, to become a man, to become a woman who is who becomes much more comfortable confessing our sin to one another and confessing our sin to the Lord, to just admit it to admit our fault. This is something that the Lord has been helping me to value more at this season of my life than I certainly did at an earlier season. Uh, my wife is live on this call, so she can tell you if, if what I'm about to say is true or if it's false. 
and I don't remember all the details about it, but it was just a few days ago. I said something um, in, in a way that I could tell, I could read my wife's face. I said something abruptly where I was just kind of in fact mode. I was in work mode and, oh, I know what it was. My wife had brought something to me uh, to church that I couldn't find before I left to go to church. And I had figured out contingency plans. And it was it, it was something that I thought, well, I, I couldn't find it at home, so I'll just use something else. And I grabbed something else. And then she found it and brought it over to the church for me when she came over. And uh, my response, instead of saying, oh, how thoughtful and, thank- and, and thankful I am, you know, I'm so th- it's so thoughtful of you that you would do that, and I'm just so thankful that you would do that for me. Instead of giving her that response, my first response was, oh, no, I, I already got something. And I kind of dismissed the opportunity for her to, to bless me with her taking the time to find the thing that I couldn't find when I was trying to head out to the church. And instead of being nice, I just said very flippantly, yeah, I already got another thing. And I could see in her face that it hurt her feelings because she expected me to be relieved and, and happy that she had brought that to me. And it dawned on me almost instantly. And two minutes later, she'd walked into the lower level of the church. Two minutes later, I walked down there and I said, I don't want to have to speak today with this on my mind because I realized that as soon as I said that, I hurt your feelings accidentally because I was in work mode, I was in task mode, and I was already thinking about you know 20 other things, and I wasn't giving enough thought to how what I, what I said would make you feel. So I apologized to my wife in the basement of the church uh, before I got up to preach because I knew I wasn't going to be able to preach the same way if I had that nagging my mind. And... Um, and it was nice to experience just the the way that that was restorative in our fellowship. And she was certainly not holding that against me. But at the same time, it made me feel better to just know that I had taken that offense back. And she forgave me of that. And here, you know, you have the Lord inviting us to do that with him. He loves us. He loves us with with, with a deeper, just a deeper form of love than I think our minds can understand or comprehend sometimes. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we just need to confess these things to him. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But instead of seeking that cleansing so often, because we don't want to admit that sin, we carry things around that we really shouldn't be carrying around. We should be giving these things over to the Lord and rejoicing in the cleansing that he gives to us. And so you have John encouraging us to do that. And then the section that we're looking at tonight, verse 10, that he ends with, he encourages us likewise not to call God a liar. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, and I could even ask it as a question, are you calling God a liar? Well, look at what John says in 1 John 1.10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, what's John getting at? How do you call God a liar? Well, by saying you have not sinned, you're calling God a liar. How? Well, when you look throughout the word of God, The Word of God demonstrates to us in story after story and direct teaching after direct teaching and divine confrontation after divine confrontation that we as human beings are sinners who need the Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we're saying we have not sinned, we're basically saying, yeah, all that stuff that you illustrated and said in your Word, that's all not true because I don't think I'm actually a sinner. Even though you've said that I'm a sinner, I don't think I actually am. And so John's saying, all right, if you say you have not sinned, you're making him a liar, right? We make him a liar, he says, and his word is not in us, meaning we don't understand the teaching of the word. The teaching of the word tells us that that by nature, we were rebellious toward the Lord, but he came to rescue rebels. 
and to turn us not just into friends, but also into family. And so we don't want to to basically preach a message to others or preach a message to our own hearts that's the direct opposite of what Scripture actually teaches. So let's not call God a liar. That's John's challenge to us. Now, in just a second, we're going to open up the mics and we're going to discuss some of these things. Uh, But before we do, I'm just going to show you here real quick, and I'll mention this for those of you joining us on the podcast. Our upcoming schedule looks a little different. We have some extra things going on in the coming weeks, and I'll just run through the dates real quickly here. Next week, which is February 16th, so that's Tuesday evening, February 16th, at a special time at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be talking about the idea of leading the post-COVID church. And we're going to do this for two weeks. So February 16th is part one, and February 23rd, also at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be talking about leading the post-COVID church, part one and part two. We're going to be utilizing the materials that Tom Rainier and Church Answers have put together related to this subject. And uh, we'd invite Anyone that's involved in church leadership, or if you want to invite your pastor to be part of this, I already have heard from about uh, seven or eight pastors that are going to be joining us for these special times that aren't even normally with us, but they're going to be joining us uh, on the 16th and the 23rd of February to be part of these training events leading the post-COVID church. So that's open to anybody. Again, we're going to be utilizing Tom Rainier's materials for the next two weeks, the 16th and the 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. As we talk about this idea of what does it look like to lead the post-COVID church. And then March 2nd and March 16th and March 30th, so as we get into next month, then we're going to be studying the second chapter of the book of First John. So at this point now, we're going to open it up for some discussion here, and I've got some questions prepared that I'm very curious to hear some of your answers. Again, those of you listening on the uh, podcast, I'd also invite you to stop by Desire Jesus at some point here and uh, utilize some of the resources we have for you there. we got lots of blog content and other materials that we truly hope will help you grow in your walk with Christ. Well, let's bring everybody up here. Uh, let's take a look at the gallery view here, and I've got everybody's face on here so I can see everyone, and hopefully you guys can see me as well. But as we looked at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, I wonder if there were some thoughts or questions in your mind. And uh, the first question I have for our group tonight is this. In what ways can it be dangerous for us to invite the darkness of sin into our lives? In what ways can it be dangerous for us to invite the darkness of sin into our lives? If somebody asked you that question, how would you answer them? Anyone want to get the ball rolling for us tonight and start us off? How can it be dangerous to invite the darkness of sin into your life? Well, darkness and light are incompatible. Like, if you take a flashlight into a dark room, wherever you point the light, there's no more darkness. And... Well, I suppose you can't bring like a dark light into a room to put darkness everywhere. The same would be true. If there's darkness in a place, it means there's no light. And so you can't, there's not like a twilight zone where you can live. It's just, you're either living in darkness or living in light. So what, what would be dangerous about inviting darkness in? So even, even just think of the season of life that you're at. You're right around 20 years old, somewhere in that vicinity, right? So, you know, you as a 20-year-old man, what, what, are you, what, what would be like the danger of inviting darkness into your life, the darkness of sin? 
Probably like pride or being foolhardy. Yeah, so a form of foolishness, some form of pride, right, which results in all kinds of danger because we become unteachable in those moments. Yeah, somebody else at, at the season of life you're at, what do you think? What would what would it, or how would it be dangerous to invite the darkness of sin into your life? And by the way, I, I recognize we're all men and women who struggle with sin already, but the idea is that we're we're not to invite dark, more darkness into our life. We're we're invited in Scripture to to focus on Christ and welcome His light into our life. So, what would be the danger for you, from your estimation, of inviting darkness into your life? What do you think? I think that I think it's have... I'm sorry, go ahead. All right, go ahead. Ian first here. Go ahead. I think I saw you first. Uh I think that if you have um uh sin in your life, um oftentimes, at least in, in my scenario, uh in the past I found that I was less likely to reach out to God. Uh I'd have a sense of shame and um it reminds you about your sin and um it's uh a, a a stumbling block uh, for a relationship with God. Yeah, it, may, it makes you feel like God is distant from you and makes you hesitant to to even attempt to be near to him, right? You know, yeah, so that, that's a good example, a good danger of darkness. And was it Katie that, that, what, that also had a thought? What do you think, Katie? Similarly, I, I would echo that and just say, you know, in those times or in those moments or... Uh, you know, sometimes there's flashes of that, but I think there's sometimes where there's longer periods of that. You know, I, th- I would notice that there would be, and obviously growing as a Christian and growing in maturity, I'm not saying I never sin, but I'm just saying as one who's growing, I notice that, you know, there's a peace. There's an all understanding when we are in them and when I'm not, then I notice that. Or if I feel a twinge or if I, you know, if there is something that I needed to confess, it's, it's like comes upon you and, you know, you feel an unrest or like a conviction because that's obviously the Holy Spirit. So that's something I notice as well as just um, beyond peace. It would be just um, unity, you know, being able to have a, a committed fullness, I guess, if you will, in a, in a prayer time or in a worship time. So just noticing that that presence of God and, and, and feeling when there's a distance. I know there's times when God is distant and, and, you know, there's just times when that happens, but I think there's also a time when we have to reflect on that and look at, when I have to look at, at that and reflect on that and say, you know, search me and know my heart, you know, God, show me and, and help me to reflect on anything that I need to confess to you. Wonderful. Yeah. Would anyone here, I, I'll admit this of myself, so no one else has to confess this if um, if they don't agree with this statement, but I have noticed within myself that when I feel like I'm running from God, if I feel like I'm trying to hold something back from God, and that persists for any real length of time, I actually start to feel depressed. And sometimes I don't fully realize in the moment, why do I feel depressed? But then when I do some self-examination and take some time to pray, uh, frequently it comes back to I'm holding something back from God or I'm trying to do something in a way that doesn't honor God or, or, or something like that. I I have noticed that as a pattern in my adult life where um, it, one of the dangers of inviting darkness in or just being too casual with darkness is that I actually think it it produces in me anyway, it, it produces 
a level of depression that I think, oh, yeah, I don't want to feel that way. And so, uh, you know, once I noticed that about my life, it actually was helpful for the Lord to reveal that to me, because in our ongoing battle with sin, I think that helps rob sin of its of its tempting power. If I can remind myself, you know, if if, if you go in this direction or if you go in that direction, you, you're going to be depressed about it. You're not going to feel good about it. You're going to feel terrible mm-hmm. about it. And um, that helps me a little bit. Um, you know, a related question, maybe someone wants to chime in on that or, or, or even this. Um, how does that hinder our fellowship with God? You know, because John was talking about fellowship here, right? Um, so if we're inviting darkness into our lives, how does that hinder our fellowship with God? Well, specifically with prayer, um, if you're living in sin, then you're much less likely to be praying to God. And uh, uh, this really you know, communication with, uh, with God and can ruin fellowship. Do you think that's like a shame thing? You know, if we're if we're bringing something Absolutely. into our life that doesn't belong there and we don't want to talk to him because we're feeling shame. Do you th- yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and any other thoughts? You know, how, how does that hinder our fellowship with God if we invite darkness into our life? I think it can create confusion at times. Yeah. You know, I think that's something from the enemy, but I think there's there's a choice that we make if we walk in it as well. And so by walking away from that, we're choosing not only peace, but we're choosing insight and clarity. Yeah. Hopefully on your path. I mean, we trust that, that God provides that, and I believe that, and I feel that. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. How about this? Um, so you, you, when you look at the, a, a variety of things that uh, the Apostle John was bringing up in this portion of Scripture, um, he seems to have this idea, as he's talking about this idea of walking in the light. So if you're walking in the light, if I'm walking in the light, we're going to, in a sense, reflect the perfection of God. Now, none mm-hmm. of us is perfect, right? But the idea is that we would reflect the Lord's holiness, that we would reflect his perfection, what, however you want to phrase that there, right? Um, what do you think about that idea of reflecting the holiness of God and what that might look like in a believer's life? How can a believer reflect the holiness of God? Uh, would so, anyone want, that hasn't had a chance to chime in yet want to chime in on that one? How can, a, how can a believer reflect the holiness of God? Do you have an opinion? Don, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think God, you know, John tells us that uh, by walking in the light, when we're having these conversations, I keep thinking about how, uh, you know, the sin is the darkness and the way sin affects us is it, you know, it shuts out the light. Like uh, I just cleaned my car off this morning. If I would have left all that snow or let me say that sin on my headlights, I wouldn't uh, light would shine through as, as well. But the, uh, when we're looking at these things of walking in the light and being in fellowship with him, since he is the light of the world, uh, the more closely I'm walking with him and, and not being deceived as to that my sin is okay or that he doesn't see my sin. Or sometimes I think we get into thinking that our sin is so bad that uh, he's not, some people might think that he they can't be forgiven because their sin is so, so bad. And that really puts you in a dark place. So as we were talking about these things tonight, that's what I was thinking about sin being the darkness and our fellowship with Christ and our walk with him. 
is where the light comes from. And then I was thinking of an eclipse somehow. And maybe because I just wrote on my calendar and I see that then the event I wrote on there, there's a full moon. And see, the moon has no light of its own. It just reflects the light from the sun. And that's kind of where we're at. Uh, we reflect his light, but only when there's nothing obstructing that or in the way of that. And uh, so when we're in, when I'm in them dark places, it's usually because uh, somehow I've, I've shut out the word or, uh, you know what I mean? I'm in self-deception and uh, I'm just so grateful that he, he continues to shine that light and, and even a little light, you know, a little candle will efface the darkness of a, a, of a big room. But uh, if you put that candle out, then you're back in darkness. Uh, that's just what was on my mind as you went sure. through the scripture here about sin, sin, self, and flesh being the darkness. And the more we're concentrated on him and in one with him and obedient to him, uh, the brighter our light shines, his yeah. light through us. Yeah, and I like the analogy you shared there of uh, the moon reflecting light, you know, not having light of its own. I thought that was a good analogy and, and the idea of something obstructing it. Uh, by the way, Don, um, I had you, were you preaching from Joshua this past Sunday? I got to hear maybe like five minutes of your sermon this past Sunday <laughs> on uh, uh, online. My my Sunday morning schedule was a bit different because we didn't have in-person worship because of the snow. And so uh, after our service was done and I was finishing up our live stream, I got to hear part of your sermon as well. And I was like, hey, I get to hear Don preach. You did a nice job. I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but I got to hear some of it. So anyway, thank you. Yeah, you're giving the thumbs up. Um uh, how about this? In that same section, you have the Apostle John talking about the fact that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's a helpful thing to think about. But but from a theological standpoint, maybe maybe I'll, I'm just going to um, – let's see, Greg, are you, if I call you out on this, all right, you're studying your theology right now. How, do, how does the blood of Jesus cleanse us from sin? You know, what do you think? If somebody asked you a question, like, all right, what, what does that even mean? I think that's a foreign concept if you don't, if you're not familiar with what the scriptures say. So, like, what, what do we mean by that? Well, it's funny that you bring that up since um, right before this, I was preparing a lesson on the Passover for kids own <laughs> on Thursday. Nice. And it's a similar, con- it, well, it's, the Passover is a reflection of the blood of Christ. Right. Explain in the, how. In the Passover, uh, the blood of the lambs, uh, which is painted on the doorposts of the Israelites, right. marks them as the people of God, and so they're saved from death. And Christ's blood from that judgment, yeah, covers us from the judgment that we uh, should receive. And so, even though we sin, because Christ died and our sin died in Christ, uh, we are covered by His blood. Just like the blood of the lambs covered the Israelites. Perfect, perfect. I knew. See, I knew you'd have a good answer. <laughs> good job. It, it, I someone needs to. You you work at the same university that that Greg goes to, Andrea. Put a good word in with his theology professors. All right. <laughs> nice. All right. How, how about this? Um, why do you suppose someone might be tempted or even motivated to deceive themselves in regard to their own sin? Why would somebody? You know, why would we, what would motivate us to deceive ourselves in regard to our own sin? 
it could be easier than dealing with the mess. Like, you really <laughs> so have denial to, is easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, like diving into and admitting that is it takes humility and an acknowledgement of the messiness of our sinful condition, and um, it, it has a level, I think, of of embarrassment even because you have to admit you know, like the ways that you fall short and all of that can be, um, it has a, it's emotionally weighty to, to deal with. So I think sometimes like the deny or like deceiving ourselves, it's just easier. Isn't it helpful, you know, with that in mind to, to be reminded of what it says in the scripture here, that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, meaning he doesn't fail to do that. He doesn't yeah, fail to do that. <laughs> he's, he's better at it than we are. Though. Oh, yeah. you no, know, like we're not good at doing that for ourselves. So, right. you know, we may be able to acknowledge and possibly, you know, like even accept the fact that God forgives us, but I still know what I'm looking at when I look in the mirror and that can be a hard, you know, like that can, we can be awfully hard on ourselves. We can fail to show ourselves the forgiveness that God has shown us. Yeah. That's a big struggle for sure. Anyone else have a thought on that one? You know, why, why might someone be tempted or motivated to deceive themselves in regard to their own sin? Yeah. Desha. Good. I was just going to say, because they just don't want to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Elaborate on that for a second. Um, I'm not sure how to, how to elaborate on it. Um, I mean, it's a pretty clear statement. Yeah. You're right. But uh, maybe they're not ready. They don't. Um, I'm not sure how to elaborate on it, John. To admit it, you know, like to, like to admit that it's the, that's the case would also have mean you would have to face. Then you have to stop. Yeah. That you would. <laughs> you'd be kind of uh facing the fact that you know you know you shouldn't be doing those things but to deceive when you're deceiving yourself you're kind of ignoring that it all exists right i will admit so i'm not going to call anyone out on this but i will admit that there are plenty of seasons in my life that i could i could identify that that was exactly the problem for for me you know where it's like if you if you admit it then you have to do something about it but if you pretend like it's not a problem, then you can just kind of not feel as obligated, right? Anyone else? Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. In your life where you wrestled with that? Well, go ahead, Desha. Yeah, what? Oh, I was just saying they kind of go hand in hand. Definitely. That way. Definitely. And Don, I saw your hand up there too. Go for it. I think the biggest obstacle in what happens is the pride. Our pride. I remember being so caught up in, 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 in a life of addiction. And then people were trying to do interventions and uh, telling me I had a problem and my pride just would not let me even listen to them. Like, uh, who are you to tell me anything about myself? So I, I think one of the biggest things in the way uh, of our deception with, of, of ourself is our, as our, as our false pride in what we're doing. I mean, uh, some people, and I, and I'll admit this, there was a season in my life where I was, I was really proud of my sin, of the of the laws I broke, all the laws of God and man, and and uh, you know I'm humbled by that. 
every time I think back to that, but I, I remember that season when my pride had it had me thinking I didn't have to, I didn't have to obey the laws of God or man. And then nobody telling me what to do and, uh, and being comfortable in a, in a lifestyle that was, was ridiculous when I look back on it. But when I was in the middle of it, my pride and ego wouldn't let me even admit that I had a problem, let alone looking for the solution or surrendering, surrendering to Christ. It just wasn't in the card. The pride was completely in the way. Yeah. Pride is blinding. Someone once asked me, "What you know? Why does Satan do what he does when he he knows that God is ultimately going to be victorious?" And the best answer I could give them is, "Pride is blinding. You could be so proud that you just can't see what's right in front of your face." Sometimes. Um, can, uh, all right, I'm gonna kind of throw out sort of a trick question, but it's not really meant to be a trick question, but it's kind of a trick question. So even the way I'm asking it already here is <laughs> I'm starting it off double tricky here. All right. Is here's the question and we'll see who even, maybe no one will even feel like answering this. I don't know, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there anything God cannot do? Just give a yes or a no answer to this. Is there anything God cannot do? Just give a yes or a no. Go ahead. Yes, he cannot sin. Well, that's no. You gave an answer. You gave an answer. You're supposed to say just yes or no. <laughs> but you know what? You're exactly right. <laughs> What's that? That is a trick question. <laughs> it is a trick question. Yeah. Do you like how Ian didn't see where I like I was trying to like block somebody from giving that answer fully? But that's exactly what I was getting at. Um, you know, because if somebody asks you the question that. Is there anything God cannot do? Our initial impulse would be to say, no, I mean, there's nothing God cannot do. But then when you think about it, it's like, well, wait a second. No, there, there's something God cannot do. And scripture is actually very clear about it. In, um, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 18, it tells us God cannot lie. It directly says that. God cannot lie. I actually have it here in front of me. I'll read it to you. It says, uh, Hebrew, this is Hebrews 6, 18. Um, it says, oh, I'll start with verse 17. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Again, it says it is impossible for God to lie. So if someone asks the question, is there anything God cannot do? The answer to that question is yes, God cannot lie. Scripture directly says he cannot lie. It is a violation of his nature. He is not capable of lying. He can't violate his own nature. And that's an assurance, you know, that's a, that's an assuring thing. I think for us as believers, but it's interesting when you look at what John says in first John chapter one, verse 10, where he says, if we, if we claim to be without sin, we make God a liar, right? If we say we're not sinners, if I say I'm not a sinner, I make God a liar. And, and he's, he's explaining to us here that, that basically we're not, we don't understand what the word teaches if we're attempting to call God a liar, because God is not a liar. So, I mean, what do you think? Like, how would you phrase it? How do we imply that God's a liar when we say we have not sinned? How are we implying that God is a liar 
if we say we have not sinned? If I say I have not sinned, how am I, in effect, calling God a liar? Because his word says we all have sinned. So right. if we say we didn't, we're saying you're a liar. Yeah. Yeah, we're basically saying, I don't believe the counsel of your word. I don't believe the word that you have inspired. I don't believe the trajectory of history where we have watched you work your redemptive plan throughout history. Why would you need to work a redemptive plan throughout history if people didn't need to be redeemed? (laughs) You know, what would even be the point? So, yeah. um, So, yeah. But now you kind of now you can win a Bible trivia contest, though. If anyone ever asks you, is there anything God cannot do? You could say yes. In fact, I, there is something God cannot do. Hebrews 6.18 tells me God cannot lie, that it's impossible for God to lie. Any, any final thoughts on any of this um, tonight? You know, there's a lot of useful, practical things in this portion of Scripture about walking in the light, the importance of confessing to the Lord and, and receiving the cleansing that we receive through Jesus Christ as his blood cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But any any thoughts or personal application anyone want to chime in with before we finish up this evening? Go ahead, yeah. I, re- I really love that verse, First uh, John 1, 9, and the, uh, you know, the, him being faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, that's kind of when we come to Christ and our sins are washed clean as white as snow. But that cleansing... That continues for the rest of our days, and that's the uh, that's the part that we got to stay adhering to, and not just claim, "Oh, we're forgiven," and then not worry about that, getting along with the cleansing. And I'm thinking about how when you have a wound, and they cleanse it at the hospital, it's a painful kind of thing, but it it's necessary and it needs to be done. So the the cleansing process is the is the rest of life, and. Uh, I love that 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 continues to happen. And the one thing I was thinking, I got to put this out there, is that when we call the scripture talking about us calling God a liar and, uh, you know, as us as human beings, because he gave us the free will, we can choose to say that. We can choose to say we have no sin and even say God's a liar. And we as human beings have the power to shut almighty God's effect on us off. We can't make God do anything, but we can stop God from doing anything in our lives by choosing to go the other way, by choosing to live in darkness. And the sad thing is so many people choose that. Uh, and uh, what a powerful thing human beings have to be able to make that choice. And I thought of a funny thing about I heard of Can God make a rock that even he can't lift? When you ask that question, I think I was in a Sunday school when I was a little kid or something. I still don't got the answer to that one, but I'll leave you with that. <laughs> yeah, you'll leave, yeah. Someone asked a professor of mine when I was in college that question. You know what his answer was? He looked at the student. He said that question is irrelevant. <laughs> he said that que- that was his direct response. That question is irrelevant. And then he went on with his teaching. So <laughs> that's what he said. I'm sure that the student was like, "Oh, uh, well." Now I feel motivated to bring up more things. You know, it's like how lovely. Um, well, wonderful. Well, oh yeah, Dasha, go ahead. I was just going to say, refer to Hebrews six eighteen. 
That's right. We'll go back to Hebrews 6.18. Yeah, that'll be the answer for everything. (laughs) So that's that's good. No, Don, that's good. And Don, I was going to also say in response to what you said, I was just going to echo this. Isn't it nice to know that we are a work in progress, that the Lord continues to work on us, that he, that like scripture says, he who started this work within us is going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That's something that we can be grateful for and rejoice over. Well, this was a lot of fun tonight. I'm grateful for everyone that was able to be on the call tonight. Again, let's see, we had Pennsylvania represented. We had, well, let's see, how many people from Pennsylvania? Let me do the head count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And if, did I count myself in that? There's at least nine <laughs> from Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania still still gets the uh, bonus point for tonight, but we had Florida represent. I'm going to be in Florida later this month. I can't wait to experience the weather of your state for just a couple quick days. I'm going to be down in the Tampa area. It's nice. Like, yeah. And how about this? I got a, I got a plane ticket, a round trip ticket from Pennsylvania to Florida for 97 bucks. And that includes taxes and fees. Isn't that unbelievable? That's great. No, I can't wait. So, um, so I'll be down in your beautiful sunny state here in the, in the month of February for a couple of days. We have a couple guests from Virginia tonight, a guest from Texas and one guest from New Hampshire. So that's a pretty good representation of states this evening. So I'd encourage you, uh, if you're listening on the podcast and your state was not represented tonight, we hope you'll uh, you'll decide to join us one of these Tuesday evenings for our Bible study together. We have a lot of fun doing this. And uh, those of you on the call tonight, always feel free to extend an invitation to anyone you know that you think might enjoy spending an hour together studying the scriptures. We'd love to have them. And just as a reminder, for the next two weeks, we start a half hour earlier than normal because we're going to go 90 minutes both of those nights and we're going to be we're going to be talking about leading the post covid church so two special evenings for those involved in in various forms of church leadership and uh, we, we hope that it'll be a blessing to you as we look at that content that Tom Rainier and, and his group put together for us. And so we're going to be looking at that together. So that's next week and the following week at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be meeting together in this spot. All right, everybody. It was great to see everyone together tonight. Thanks for carving out some time. And uh, we'll, Lord willing, see you soon. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.